to the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to do a couple of games this morning, uh, and um, these are like pattern recognition games, okay? So I'm going to show you a slide, and then I'm going to give you like a couple, don't yell anything out right away, let people look at it for a second, and then I'll ask you just to yell out the answer um, after I say go, all right? And we'll see how you can do. I have two that are pretty, uh, one's really easy, one's pretty easy, and one's kind of tough. We'll see how this goes. All right, so put my first one up. Don't say anything. Okay, you see a pattern. Okay, take a second. Okay, are you ready? What should the next piece of the pattern be? Just say it. Blue triangle. Fantastic. You guys are doing great. Okay, that's shapes. Let's do it. Let's do it harder. Let's do numbers. Go one more. Okay, you got 64, 59, 54, 49, 44, 39, blank. One of those at the bottom is the right answer. Take a minute. Think about it. I know math on a Sunday morning is not fair. All right, are, are, we, are we ready? If you feel confident, tell me what it is. 34. 34. Good. We're subtracting five each time. You guys are great. All right, let's see how awake you are. Um, so this next one, go ahead to the next slide. Um, you've got uh, numbers around a triangle. I want to know what the number is inside the last triangle. Okay, so just take a minute. Math teachers and physics teachers, I'm thinking about you right now. Um, take a minute. What in the world's going on here? All right, if anybody has any idea, feel free to shout out what the number should be. What's that? Alex Jellin. Three is the right answer. Do you want to tell them how you got it? Do you guys hear that? That's pretty amazing. All right, yeah, we get a gold star. So if your if you're worshiping online and couldn't hear it, uh, so you take the top number six, subtract the left number two, multiply by the right number two, and you get eight, right? So you repeat that process. The last one is six minus five is one. One times three is three. So three, three should be in the triangle. I just want you to know that what Alex just did, and I want to guess that was 60 seconds, um, I could not do last night. I looked up the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, please make that go away. All right. Um, so here's why we're doing this. Um, pattern recognition is an incredibly important part of how our brains work. Um, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson says, the best thing we have going for us is our intelligence, especially pattern recognition. Um, the ability to spot uh, existing or emerging patterns is one of the most, if not the most, critical skill in decision-making. Although we're mostly unaware, we do it all the time. Okay? You, you, you do pattern recognition when you don't realize you're doing pattern recognition. When somebody's talking to you and you think, I don't know if I can trust this person, it's because you're doing pattern recognition. You know what dishonest people are like, and you're recognizing a pattern. Um, when someone sets food before you and you say, I don't know if this is edible or not, you're doing pattern recognition, right? You're saying, ah, I've seen things that didn't seem safe, and this matches that pattern. We, we do pattern recognition all the time. It's a critical way of how we think. I want us to do some pattern recognition this morning about the Scriptures, because I think one of, the, one of the great things about Genesis is it gives us some really critical patterns to make sense of our lives and the rest of the story of Scripture. 
So we've already talked about one pattern, which is the sin pattern, right? We saw it in Genesis 3, Genesis 4, Genesis 6. It's the idea that we decide what we think is good and evil instead of letting God decide that. And then we see something we think is good, we're tempted by our adversary, and we take it, right? That's the sin pattern. Today I want to talk about an even more important pattern. Uh, I'm going to call it the salvation pattern, Okay? The salvation pattern shows up for the first time in the Bible in the story of Noah, but it's going to be repeated again and again with Abraham and with Job uh, and with Jesus and in our lives. I can't show you every place it shows up, so we're going to focus just on Noah and Jesus and us, okay? But I hope once you see this pattern, you'll see it again and again as you read Scripture. And the, the salvation pattern is really quite simple. It's just recognize, analyze, utilize. Recognize, analyze, utilize. Uh, so the first step is recognize. Uh, and this is all about um, righteousness. You notice the, the word that showed up or the, the phrase that showed up in the first and the last verses of our reading? We were told that Noah is righteous, right? Verse 6, I'm sorry, uh, Chapter 6, verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Uh, and then we're, gonna, we're coming back to this, but that's the recognize. Then we get this whole long test that God gives him about building the ark. That's the analyze. And then at the very end, verse 7, the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen you alone are righteous before me in this generation. There's a repetition there, but something has changed. That's going to be the utilize. Okay? All right, so come with me. This is going to be fun. Um, so we're going to start with Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Do you guys remember anybody else who walked with God in Genesis? Um, I'll give you a hint. It's Noah's great-grandfather, and his name begins with an E. Enoch. Yeah, fantastic. So, uh, Enoch is a figure um, who is four generations before Noah, who walks with God and is no more. Noah's walking with God. He's doing something exceptional, and we're told that Noah is righteous, so, the word righteous isn't a legal term, it's a relationship term. It means that you're in right relationship, right? Noah's relationship with God is healthy. Noah's relationship with other people is healthy. Noah's relationship with God's creation is healthy. It's the way it's supposed to be, right? So, he's, he's righteous. He's in right relationship in all these ways. We're, we're also told he's, he's blameless in his generation, which is pretty interesting, and he's walking with God. Um, I, I think we are supposed to already be asking the question, is this the serpent crusher? Is this the guy we've been waiting for since Genesis chapter 3? It's not, um, but he is a form of Christ. So, right from the beginning, we're told God recognizes something about Noah. He recognizes Noah is righteous. By the way, um, remember this is how Jesus' story starts out? Uh, in the Gospels, Jesus um, is baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. And remember what happens next? The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and they hear a voice from heaven, and God says, this is my Son, the Beloved, with Him I am well pleased. Right from the beginning, God recognizes the righteousness of Jesus. Um, but it's a little bit harder to see how this connects to us. 
Because we are not like Noah. Uh, We said this in our prayer of confession this morning. We're not like Jesus. We're not always in right relationship with each other or with God or with the world around us. But something incredible happens in the story of Scripture. Something incredible happens through the gift of Jesus. We're told in 1 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake God made Him who knew no sin to become sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That, that somehow Jesus makes us right with God and makes us right with each other, even when our lives don't always bear that out. For Christ also suffered sins, for, suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. This is a really interesting idea for us um, that like Noah and like Jesus, because of Jesus, God recognizes us as righteous. God sees us and says, you are the sort of people that I want to be in relationship with, I want to be in covenant with. Uh, And and we are then expected um, to walk with God. Uh, Walking with God means a lot of things, um, but here's three really simple pieces of the rhythm of a life with God. The first is a weekly time of worship. The second is a daily time in God's Word. And the third is a constant time in prayer. Uh, and, and I think walking with God is a complicated thing, but if we can do those, if we can find a, a rhythm, a pattern of weekly worship and daily devotion and, and constant prayer, um, we're living into that righteousness that God recognizes in us. Okay, so this is interesting. Um, God recognizes Noah as righteous, uh, and then He gives him something crazy to do. This is the analyze piece, right? This is the, the, the test or the work He gives. Uh, and you notice what God tells Noah to do. He says, I want you to build me an ark. Um, I, I know that Bill Cosby uh, has a bad taste in our mouth now that we've realized some things about him, um, but the man was quite funny, And he has a wonderful skit, a whole bunch of skits about the ark. Some of you know this skit, but um, essentially he just imagines Noah in his workshop, and he's, um, I can't do Bill Cosby justice, but he's he's in there, um, um, he's a carpenter, so he's building something with wood, you know, vuba, vuba, vuba. And then there's a ding, Noah, vuba, vuba, vuba. Noah, who is that? It's the Lord, Noah. Right. What do you want? I want you to build me an ark. Right. What's an ark? Uh, and the, the skit goes on, but it's such an interesting question. What's an ark? Um, I don't think we actually know. So, um, you've all seen pictures of... Uh, an ark before. I got a few pictures. Just put up the first one for me. Um, This is kind of what we imagine when we think of the ark, right? It's a giant boat. Um, We see all the animals coming on, or I think in this case they're actually coming off. Um, This is after the end of the story. But that's kind of what we've seen in our our nursery walls, right? Or in the kids' ministry areas of every church in the world. I don't know why we picked the story where God kills everyone as our favorite kid story, but whatever. Um, 
Okay, keep going. I've got, uh, this is uh, just another image of what maybe the ark is like floating. Somebody, I don't know who drew this, but it's cool. I don't know why the elephants are trying to jump ship. Uh, and then go one more. Um, this is a thing called the ark experience, which is a really a, amazing. I know some people have been there, but it's really um, amazing scale of, of what perhaps the ark might have looked like. And I got one more of the ark experience. Um, so you get just a, a sense of how big this thing might have been and, and what it would have looked like. Here's the problem. Um, the problem is God doesn't say, Noah, I want you to build me a boat. He says, Noah, I want you to build me an ark. Uh, the word ark is uh, tabah, and tabah means a box that you put images of God in. It's a, it's a word from e uh, Egyptian, actually, and very common in Egypt. They're all over Egypt, tabahs are or arks are. Um, they're often, um, you know, a little bit larger than um, people-sized with a door in the side where they'd put like a child-sized image of a god in, uh, and they would sometimes carry them through the streets. Sometimes they'd put them on like a raft and float them down the River Nile, right? And so when God says, I want you to build me a tabah, Noah's not thinking, I'm building a boat. Noah's thinking, oh, I'm building an ark. I'm building a box where God's image will be preserved. Um, by the way, who's the image of God? You are, right? Um, you notice that Noah gets some instructions on what the ark's supposed to look like. And it's, it's a little bit weird. He says, this is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. It's wit width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. We don't actually know what that word is. Make something for the ark, and finish it to a cubit above, and put a door in its side. Make it with lowers, seconds, and thirds, so three levels. Um, let me show you a picture of um, what the actual um, description you just read would look like. It looks like that, right? Uh, it doesn't describe a bow or a stern or oars or a rudder or anything that's boat-like. It just sounds like a box, right? Like a big old building, 300 cubits by 50 cubits by 30 cubits with a door. Uh, this is really interesting. Um, God's not just asking Noah to make a flotation device for animals, uh, okay, one, one more thing. Leave it up for a second. One, one more thing I want you to notice. We're told, God says, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. Okay, again, Hebrew snob. Um, when you repeat the same word, you ought to use the same translation. So, it literally says, pitch it on the inside and out with pitch, okay? And, and in this case, in English, we're thinking pitch is like the stuff you use to seal wood, Right? Um, but the word for pitch in Hebrew is kippur. This is the only place in the Bible it's translated as pitch that, that I'm aware of. Um, it's almost always translated differently. It's almost always translated atonement. Have you heard of Yom Kippur? Right? Yom Kippur is the day of atonement, the Jewish holy day of atonement. Um, he says, kippur it, inside and out, kippur it. So you can read this, pitch it, inside and out, cover it with pitch, or you can read it, atone for it, atone for it inside and out. It sounds like God is saying to Noah, I want you to make a sacred space, 
I want you to make a sacred space that's been atoned for where the, my images can go to be preserved through the destruction that's coming. I'm asking you to make a sacred space where all of creation can be preserved as we partner together inside this tabah, inside this ark. Uh, it, it's, it's a metaphor for Eden. It's a metaphor for the tabernacle that God's going to ask Moses to build. Um, when they build the temple many, many, many years later, they come back and they intentionally use the description of the ark to help them build the temple. God says, no, I want you to make some sacred space where life can be preserved. Okay, you can take my really beautiful drawing down. Um, isn't this what, isn't this the, the work that Jesus gets from God as well. Jesus is called by God um, to, to make a sacred space where people can come and encounter in right relationship the one who made them. Jesus is called by God to build the church. And the ark has always been a metaphor for the church from the very beginning, all the way back um, from the apostle Peter who thought that the whole story of the ark was a metaphor for baptism. During the building of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water, and baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you. See, from the very beginning of the church, we saw this story of Noah as, as getting us ready for the story of Jesus, that somehow um, the the analyzing of the righteousness of Noah was to see what his life's work would be about. Could he make sacred space for people to come and encounter God in? And the analyzing of the life of Jesus, who is, yes, tested in the wilderness, but then, but then his whole ministry, right, is a test up to the cross, is to see whether Christ can make sacred space for us to come and dwell with God in. Um, the, the analyzing of our righteousness is not just about one moment or one decision. It's about our life's work. It's about the ways that we bring and make space for God. And, and by the way, we're told in verse 22 that Noah did as God commanded him. Noah did as God commanded him. Noah did all this. We don't hear, by the way, what Noah thinks about this process. We don't hear, um, uh, whether Noah had a great time, it took him 120 years, did he have a great time building the ark? Was it like his favorite Saturday activity or was it really awful? I mean, you got to figure out if the mosquitoes are male and female and you got to tell the rabbits only two, only two. I mean, uh, that's Bill Cosby again. Uh, we're just told he did it, right? That, that the analyzing, the testing, the working out of the righteousness that God recognizes in us comes not in how we obey, but that we obey. And I think this is what God calls us to do. Right? The work of faith is to trust in Jesus even when it doesn't make sense, and it's to create sacred space, to create sacred space. A few weeks ago, um, there was a, a national event called See You at the Pole. 
See you at the poll is a, a prayer thing that middle school and high school um, students are invited to do once a year. There's a date where kids gather around the flagpole at their school and they pray before school for their friends, for their teachers, for their coaches, for their school, for their community, whatever's on their hearts. And it's supposed to be a witness to that school um, that they are... Um, they, they care, right, that they care about the people and that they are trying to make that space sacred. I got invited um, by one of our elders. It was, it was Deb Tice. I'll give away. Uh, I got invited by one of our elders to go and pray with um, the D.C. Everest Junior High um, as this group of, of um, uh, FCA, this group of Christian kids, got together and, and, and prayed around this poll. It was really a, a neat experience for me. And I think they were really trying to make sacred space. But what struck me afterwards was not uh, that our 10 to 15 minutes of prayer um, was so powerful, um, but that there were like 30 kids that came out to be part of this prayer time, and that Deb and the other leaders with her had been so effective um, at creating a sacred space for those kids um, week in and week out, that they were comfortable coming and praying in front of their whole school because, because folks like Deb had made it safe. They'd made it sacred. We're called to do simple things like this. We're called to live out different values, different expectations, different lifestyles, and, and living out the righteousness that Christ recognizes in us. You might be asked to build a massive building. You might be asked uh, to create a space for Jesus at school or at work. You might be asked to build a Christ-centered family. Whatever God's calling you to do, there's a simple definition of success. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So our pattern is God recognizes us as righteous, then He analyzes us. He, he calls us into the work of the righteous. He calls us to make sacred space for people to come and encounter Him. And then at the end, and this is, if you don't get anything else from this morning, please remember this, um, he, he utilizes one righteous person to save others who are not righteous. This is the first time in the Bible this happens, and it is overwhelmingly important. We're told, um, the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. So Noah gets in the ark, but so does his wife, so do his sons, so do his sons' wives. Is Noah's wife and sons and sons' wives, are they righteous? They are not we are told He alone is righteous. Why do they get on the ark? Because Noah gets them on. Noah's righteousness makes a way for them to live with God, quite literally live. This is the story of Jesus, right? Therefore, just as the one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. This is the promise of God, right? that that one righteous person living out their calling, faithfully obeying God and doing all they are commanded to do can make a way for other people to come and experience literal salvation. That's what Jesus offers us. That's what Noah offers his family. 
And, and by the way, Noah says it's for you. God says to Noah, it's for you and all your household. And we are God's household through baptism, right? when we are adopted into His family, when we are acclaimed as His daughters and His sons. So here's the question. Um, if God recognizes Noah and Jesus and us in a different way as righteous, and then if God analyzes us, He calls us into this work of being righteous. He calls Noah and his life's work to be about that. He calls Jesus and his life's work to be about that. And He calls us to be about that. Then when God utilizes Noah to save others and He utilizes Jesus to save others, can He utilize us to save others too? And the answer is yes. We don't save others. Jesus does the saving, right? Um, But He can utilize us to bring others in to that sacred space so they can connect or reconnect with the one who loves them. Uh, I want to tell uh, two really quick stories uh, about how that's happening in our family in in ways that are really meaningful for me. Um, One of those is um, we have a, a teenager in our church um, who um, got connected to actually another church's youth group and was going um, regularly to that youth group uh, and um, came home one day and said to her parents, hey, I really think we need to go to church together. They had been um, long-term members of our church, but COVID and everything, they kind of got out of the habit. And um, so this teenager went to her, her parents and said, hey, I, I want to go back to church. And her parents said, great, but we want to go to our church. Uh, And so, um, that student and her mom have been in worship regularly with us for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, That student actually came to our Among Us event uh, last Thursday, two weeks ago, whenever that was, and invited some friends and invited her brother. Uh, And then her brother came back to youth group on Wednesday night. And I just thought, isn't it amazing uh, that a teenager can bring a family into sacred space, right? into a place where they can encounter God. Um, Another story of our family that's so meaningful for me, um, we have a family that's been here for um, a short period of time, a year, a year and a half maybe, and um, the the mom of that family um, invited uh, another friend who um, was a little bit younger than her to come and worship with us. Their story is an interesting one. So that mom was a big sister, like big sisters and and big brothers. She was a big sister to this other friend um, 15 years ago. Um, Now that friend, of course, has grown up and is an adult and has children of her own. Um, But this this mom and her, and her little sister uh, are still friends, and this little sister didn't have a church, so she got invited here. Uh, and she started coming, and she comes to everything, which is amazing, and her, her kids started coming and getting connected. And then this little sister um, said, you know what, I, I have a really good friend that doesn't go to church and doesn't have a, a faith community or faith connection, and I really want to see her. And so that little sister Um, brought her best friend uh, to worship with us as well. And I just see that that's how God works, right? That that God calls us into this work of bringing people into relationship with Him, um, that love spreads from one righteous person to many more people who all become righteous because of our willingness uh, to live into that pattern of salvation that God has designed. So here's what I want to ask you today. I want to ask you about um, where you see yourself in that pattern. 
Are you at a stage right now where you need to be reminded that God recognizes you as righteous no matter what you've done or what has been done to you? You need to hear today that God sees you as right and good and precious, so much so He sent His Son to die for you. Or maybe you've recognized that and you're in that stage of saying, hey God, what is my life to be about? What's my life's work? How am I called to, to bring people into sacred space? What space am I creating in my life for you so that could, that could happen? Or maybe there's people in your life that you love and care deeply about and you want to say, hey, I want you, it doesn't have to be physically in this room, I want you to come to know the love of God. I want to make sacred space and then invite you into it. And trust that that's how God transforms lives. One person to many more. Here's the only instruction you need. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Thanks be to God. Amen.